the first to my son. Now, he had sons. Now, Solomon did. He had sons. He also is referring to the nation of Israel as his children. He's giving them wisdom as a whole nation, how they should apply the truth of the Proverbs to their lives individually and in their homes and corporately as a nation. And through them, he is giving these wisdom, nuggets of wisdom, these truths about the gospel to us, the church. We are receiving from Solomon guidance practically in how we live the gospel life. And we will have to repeat this many times. I'm going to repeat it again. Proverbs is not a book of promises. Proverbs is a book of principle. You get into trouble when you start seeing every word in Proverbs as a promise. Because you often find that you raise up children in the way they should go. And when they are old, they despise it. You see that in our world. You see men who refrain from ungodly relationships with adulterers. And yet they lose their marriages. And they, are, they seem to be shipwrecked in this life. You say, what about that? These are principles, not promises. Remember that. And it's going to be important today because our verses are going to take us into some deep practical waters. Some generalizations that you will look at and say, I know godly people who died young. I know godly people who loved their parents and obeyed their parents and followed the word and followed the, com the command of their mother and father. And they died in their teens, in their twenties, in their thirties. And I know evil people who live to be a hundred. I know people who despise God, hate His gospel, and they live long lives. Not only long lives, but prosperous lives. This is a book of principles. This is a book that we must keep in mind was written to us to tell us the truth of the gospel, which turns our eyes from the physical and the temporal to the eternal and the spiritual. But in this chapter, in Proverbs chapter 3, we're confronted with the gospel specifically in verses 5 through 7. The passage that is most known in this text. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the gospel. This is not a nursery rhyme for children to recite and sing songs about only. This is the truth of the gospel. Trusting in the way of the Lord equates to believing in Jesus Christ. Placing your full faith and trust in the one who is the path of righteousness. It's not a generalization here. In this sense, as far as being a gospel verse. This is a very specific and applicable verse. If you trust in your own way, you're rejecting the goodness of God in Christ. And you are saying, God will either reward me or punish me based on my merit. If you trust in God's way, Jesus Christ, what you're doing is you're accepting the gospel. Which means God accepts me neither on my merit, either good or evil. He accepts me based on the merit of Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, 
acknowledge, submit, bow the knee to him, and he will direct your path. This is a gospel verse, and it's surrounded by, first, a command from Solomon in the previous verses, verses 1 through, five, uh, one through 4, to follow the commands of the Father. It's follow the commands of the mother and the Father. Follow the teaching that you have already received. And it's followed directly after that in verses 8 through 12 with an example of what it means, what it looks like to have a gospel relationship with God. There are outward experiences, there are outward proofs, there's out, outworkings of the gospel. Outworking of the gospel in, in the life. Um, Dave, is that here or is that in that? Okay. Wireless three. I'm sorry. This is uh, Wireless One. Hey, there we go. I blogged about the good or evil of technology this week, and God has a sense of humor. <laughs> Maybe it's not amoral. All right. In verses 8 through 12, we find the outworkings of the gospel. So verses 5 through 7 are the gospel. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Verses 8 through 12 tell us exactly uh, how are two proves that that is happening in our life? First of all, in verses nine through ten, we will honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of our crops, or as Dave Swinney says, "I write my check to the church on the first opportunity I have when before I do anything else, because if I didn't." I would get to the end of the week or the end of the paycheck and I often wouldn't have enough, right? So he prioritizes that. Why? Because it is a priority. And what does that reflect? That Jesus is a priority. You see how that works when the gospel's being applied? This is not legalism. Give this much or you're not a Christian. This is, if you don't give, you don't love. You don't treasure what you don't give to. I treasure my wife. Of course, I live in another town from her. I never communicate to her. We haven't been intimate with one another for 25 years. Matter of fact, I don't care if I ever see her again. But I treasure her. Be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Just like if we did that with Jesus. That's one outward proof. The second outward proof we talked about last week is discipline. If God is not disciplining you, you have serious reason to question whether you are His child or not. Because God disciplines all those that He loves. All those that He loves? Yes. 
all those that He loves. Every one of the sons of God are disciplined. Without exception, because Jesus Christ was disciplined by His Father. What? That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He disciplined even Christ. He subjected Him to the ills and the evil of this world. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Jesus got cold. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was mocked. Jesus faced discipline. Not because God hated Him. The furthest could be from the truth. Jesus is loved by His Father, but He's disciplined because He's a son. Conversely, Satan was not disciplined by God. Satan was removed from God's presence. And he has not faced the discipline of God. He has faced the wrath of God. And in the fulfillment of that in the cross, he will have, that's the death nail of Satan, and it will be carried out physically when Jesus Christ places him in the pit of hell forever. So, you see, that's the analogy. Or if you don't like that analogy, if that's too spiritual for you, he says, he disciplined Jacob and he did not discipline Esau. He disciplined Jacob. Jacob walked with a limp. If you are a shepherd, the worst thing that can happen to you is you have a gimped up leg. you got to chase stubborn sheep. Jacob did that the rest of his life with a limp. Why? Not because God hated him, but because he saw God face to face. The closer you draw to God, the more discipline you will receive. Oh, it's all Sunday schoolish to say, I want to be close to Jesus. But being close to Jesus is the way of the cross. It requires crucifixion of your attitude. And humans, us fallen creatures, don't submit to that very easily. Therefore, we face the discipline of our Father. Not because He hates us, because He loves us. God does things, you know, in His own way. And I, I just belabor this because I, I think it's easy for us. I've, I've gotten a lot of questions since last week about when do I know God is disciplining me? I think we should spend less time worried about when God's disciplining us and whether we are responding to discipline. You say, well, you, what's the difference? If you sit around and say, is this the discipline of God? You've wasted the opportunity. Just accept everything as His discipline. Everything that happens to you, good or bad, say, I submit to you, Lord. My business is going great. I submit to you, and I confess my sin, and I draw near to you. I get, my business just fell off the map, and I'm going bankrupt. I submit to you. I confess my sin. I draw near to Christ. We, 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 don't need, we can't often figure out what's going on in our lives on a daily basis, can we? If we spend a lot of time focused on whether this is God working in this way or that, we miss the whole event. Just submit to the gospel and Christ and draw near to him with a humble heart. And he will what? Draw near to you. That's in our text today, by the way. This week I was, had a little moment and I thought I would just...
do something quick and watch this little video. I told Tyler and, and Sarah about it and Amy the other day, and I think I shared it with Aaron and emailed it to Dave. And, you know, it's one of those things. I had like 15 minutes, and then I had an hour and 22 minutes wrapped up in it in, in a puddle of tears. Johnny Erickson Tata, as you know, is a lady who now is in her 60s. She's 62. She's been paralyzed 45 years, quadriplegic, 45 years, since she was 17. At 17, she was a vibrant, healthy girl in her 60s era teenage years. She had become a Christian at 14, but by her confession in this interview said, I wasn't living for God at all. You couldn't have looked at my life and seen any of the marks of the gospel on me. And the biggest way that was playing out was in promiscuity. At 17, she had that boyfriend that she wanted so bad, and she was willing to do anything to keep him. This went on for months by her admission. Every Wednesday, she started thinking about what she would do with her boyfriend on Friday, Thursday at Groove, Friday it Happened, Saturday and Sunday were spent in utter repentance. And that was the cycle over and over and over again. One April night, she came home from one of those, as she said, steamy dates in the back seat of his car. And she threw herself into a pillow and she prayed to God this prayer. God, take this away from me. Do whatever it takes to take the enslavement to sexual sin away from me. Don't let me keep sinning this way. Three months later, she was laying face down in the water off the coast of and in the ocean her bleach bond hair bobbing in the waves she see had dove innocently into the water and hit head first snapped her neck she said when I was laying in the water all I thought was God answered my prayer It's not me talking, it's her talking. She said, for 45 years I've lived with the bruised blessing, with the severe mercy of God's discipline. And she quoted our text from last week. Proverbs, she said, Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 tells us God disciplines everyone that he loves. And she went on to say, I now am a testimony to you. You don't have to have a broken neck. If you're in sin, don't end up like me. Repent of your sin. Come to Christ. Don't go into quadriplegic life for the rest of your life. She went on to say, I thought after having quadriplegia, you know, that exempted you from anything else in life. So for nine years, I didn't have a breast exam. And then a few years ago, I found out I had breast cancer. Quadriplegic, breast cancer. How did she respond? God loves me and his discipline to me. His discipline to me is making me draw near to him. Sometimes what we see as the hard hand of God, sovereignty and providence is his gentle caress. He is bringing us near to him. Because if you'll go watch that video, I don't have time to tell you all about it. 
this woman knows Jesus in a way I don't know him. And I dare to say no one in this congregation knows him that way. God disciplines all those that he loves. That is a sign of the gospel, that it is in your life working today. So we come to our sermon, our text, 13 through 35. Gospel living is blessed living. That's the title of the sermon. First of all, your life in Christ is to be desired above all earthly treasure. There are four speeches here from Solomon. Four that have been edited and condensed and brought together. There are four speeches, verses 13 through 18, verses 19 through 20, verses 21 through 26, verse 27 through 35. There are four, probably previous to this, independent speeches that Solomon makes to his son. But now the wisdom of God has brought them together for us. In verse 13 through 18 we read, Blessed is the one who finds the wisdom finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than from silver, and her profit better than gold. Your gospel life is better than gold. Your gospel life is better than silver. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Wisdom, this gospel wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Now, I want to break those down for you. Blessed is the man, is the one who finds wisdom. In the prophetic mouth, the term blessed is the man, or blessed is the one, is a way of saying, speaking to Christian people, believers, No one is ever blessed in the Scripture that is outside of Christ. Psalm chapter 1, blessed, right? Blessed is the man who sits not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Who is blessed? The one who draws near to the tree of life, planted near streams of living water. He was fruit will bloom in season, and he will never wither. What's the definition of the blessed man? The one who is near to Christ. The one who is near to the tree of life. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. What does he say? He drew them near to him and he sat down and began to teach them. Blessed is the... And he goes through all of the Beatitudes. Those are not scriptures for lost people. The Beatitudes are for us as believers. So... I conversely would say Proverbs 13, 3, 13-35 is a scripture text for believers. It is for us. So what is it saying? We are blessed because we have found wisdom. Not wisdom in general, not wisdom in the world, but the wisdom in, in, in trusting the Lord. Wisdom. The trust in the Lord wisdom. The wisdom of Proverbs 1, verse 17. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That wisdom. The wisdom, we might say, of the gospel way. The wisdom of God's way. And the one who gets understanding. He not only only lives in wisdom, but he has understanding in his life. Which leads him to a life that is better than anything this world offers. In, 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 In this way, Solomon is comparing the wealth of the world to the wealth of the gospel. Now, he's not a man that speaks... 
from inexperience, right? Solomon had more wealth as an individual than any human probably ever. He literally covered his toilet in 24 karat gold. Why? Because he could. It is said in Solomon's kingdom there was no end to the wealth that flooded to him from the four corners of the world. The greatest supply of earthly wealth ever amassed. And Solomon says, your and my gospel life in Christ is greater than all that wealth. Blessed is the man who finds the wisdom of the gospel because the riches of this world can't buy him and they can't entice him because the wealth he has in Christ is greater. When Jesus says he is the treasure that is to be treasured above even everything in your life, he makes no bones about this fact that the gospel way is greater than the world's way. What did Jesus say? The kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure buried in a field. He buries it in a field. He sells what? The Greek says everything. Himself. He's even, he's even selling himself for this field so that he can have the treasure. He doesn't hold back anything. It's like the kingdom of God is like a jeweler who finds a very valuable pearl. And he sells everything. Same emphasis. Even his own life he's willing to sell to have that pearl. So I'm just going to ask you, I said this is for Christians, but I want to ask you lost people gathered with us, what are you counting on? What's your wealth? Is it monetary? Is it relational? Is it status? Is it popularity? Because let me explain something to you. You can amass all that the world has to offer. And when you stand in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, He will reign supreme over those things. And what He will say is, depart from me. You have no place, no share in my kingdom. Why? Because you rejected me for the things of this world. Lost person. Children that are not yet converted. Let me tell you, there comes a day where this Jesus, this one who possesses all gospel wisdom, will peer into your soul. And there will be no bluffing him. All the flimsy excuses that I use and you use in regard to, oh, I don't really worship my wealth. I, deep in my heart, I'm not giving my life to that girl or that guy. I, I'm, I'm not wrapped up in popularity. He will peer through that to the very quick of your soul. And in a blink of an eye, will judge you. Your funds will be insufficient. He will call all debts. The only life that's blessed is the gospel life. The only life that's blessed in the end is a life rooted in the fact of the gospel that we have trusted in the Lord with everything that we are. She's not just more precious than the riches of this world, as said in verses 14 15, but she is long life to us. Don't think long life 
earthly, think long life eternally. Even when you die, yet you shall live. That 19-year-old that dies in a car wreck, and he loved the Lord, the truth of the gospel is, he's more alive the second his heart stops beating in this life than he ever was in this life. And so this is proven true. It's long life in the right hand. What does that mean? All good things in the Hebrew world came from the right hand, not the left. Let's don't be political. Right hand. Who's at the right hand? I knew I'd give Aaron on that one. Who's at the right hand of God? Jesus Christ, where he is seated, pleasure forevermore. The right hand of God, the right hand is always seen in Hebrews to be the blessing, the hand of blessing. And so, in her right hand, wisdom holds long life, eternal gospel life for you. And in the left, tragedy, destruction. You may live a hundred years, but you will die for a thousand eons. The world has been in existence at least, at least 8,000 years. Probably 12. That's a millisecond in eternity. Long life is at the hand of the gospel. You will live for eternity. Christian, why are you selling out? Why is your countenance being downcast over things that are happening to you today in the shortness of this temporary life when you have Christ who will never leave you or forsake you? When you have eternal life which will never end? When you will not only own a mortgage but you will have no mortgage, you will have the whole new heavens and new earth as your home. That's why Paul can say, neither death nor life, nor rulers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come can ever separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, the gospel truth. For those of us who have trusted in the gospel truth of verses 5 through 7 of Proverbs 3, we find that we are great, we have a greater riches that could ever be given to us in this world. We have a life which will never come to an end. And we have a mortgage which will never be revoked for it's written in the blood of Christ and sealed by the gospel of the Holy Spirit. There's no banker coming for the new earth to say, hey, you can't live here anymore. He may come get your temporal home, Christian, but your eternal home. Foundations aren't made with hands. It's constructed by God, and it is unshaken. Secondly, in this text, we see that our life in Christ is founded on the wisdom of God. He says in this text, we have an example of this, how great the wisdom of God is. You say, well, how do we know the gospel wisdom is good wisdom? How do we know we can really trust it? Verse 19, the Lord, by his wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. That's the exact words he used in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Verse 19, the Lord has the wisdom that founded the earth and he has the understanding that established the heavens. 
Who will counsel him? Who will question him? Verse 20, by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Everything our eye can see and everything we cannot see with our physical eye, but we see by the vows of faith, God himself created by the wisdom of God. And he established it by the understanding of his God, of God. That caused me to pause for a minute when I was studying the text. Who created all of this? God. Yeah, but who created it? Who founded it? Who dug out the depths of the ocean and who caused the clouds to rain down dew? The second person of the Trinity. Son of God. He did it. By the wisdom of His Father, Jesus laid down all that we see and all that we cannot see. So I ask you again, if you're questioning the wisdom of the gospel, just let me tell you who your opponent is and who it is you're questioning, lost man and woman, child. You're questioning the one who put this whole thing together. When he says to you, there is no other way, you're questioning the one when you say, oh, there's another way. You're questioning the one who created everything. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, by the wisdom of His Father, in unity with His Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, created everything we see and everything we can't yet see because it's not seen in the physical world. And He laid down the gospel way. Trust in the Lord. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. There's no professor in your college class who dares tie the sandal shoe strap of this Jesus. You remember that, college student. You be respectful, but you be fervent in your stand. When an atheist stands before you and calls everything you've ever been taught into question, you confidently hold fast to the truth of God's word. And when he says you're a fool, you remember God has said he is a fool. For he said in his heart there is no God. You hold on to what you've been taught in the gospel. You hold on to the person of Jesus Christ. He will not fail you. Solomon is telling his son, there's nothing this world can offer you better than what you have in Christ. There's nothing this world can offer you that will ever disprove the wisdom of your God. Third, your life in Christ is guarded by God so that you have no need to fear. My son, verse 21, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Now we get to the, we're starting to transition. We're transitioning to the very practical things of, of the gospel. Here we go, in the real life. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. The commandments that freed out from the truth of the gospel will adorn you with great Adornment. Then you will walk on your way securely. God, why? Because God is guarding you. And your foot will not stumble because He upholds you in His righteousness. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. Why? Because He is a shade over you when the sun strikes so that it will not, will not cause you to wither in the day. And He is a shade over you so that the terror of the night and moon in the desert 
soil will not cause you to be, be cold. That's who God is. He is, a, he is a shade over you. That's what the psalmist says. When you lie down, you won't be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. We have testimony of that, don't we? Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. What? Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. The terror of the wicked is coming. The terror of disease is coming. The terror of poverty may be coming. But don't fear it, he says. Why? He answers himself. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Bad things are coming. God won't leave you. He will uphold you in those days. He's instilling confidence in His Son, in Israel, in the church, in us with these words. Do not withhold from those. Before I go farther into that, because this is the last point that I'm about to transition to. I just want to encourage you. I know I'm intimately aware of not all things, but of many things in this congregation. The pastors are. We're aware of broken marriages. We're aware of financial concerns. We're aware of physical illness. We're aware of relational problems. We're, we're, we're aware of people who are discouraged and downcast. And, and, and I encourage you to make us aware of the things we don't know. But more than anything, more than anything, I want to just say to you publicly, counsel you, what would my number one counsel be to you if you are in this condition? Cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. Tell Him all your troubles because He will guard you and protect you and keep you and you will not fail in the test. He will uphold you by His right hand. You need Him more than you need me or Dave or Aaron or Bruce or Carlton or a deacon or a friend in church. You need Christ more than you need any of us. I'm not saying you don't need us, but we're secondary. You need Christ. Don't sit in misery and say, well, if my pastors would just come do this or that. You have a shepherd in heaven who is telling you to cast your cares on him, who is telling you, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and my burden is light. And give me your yoke and your burden and I'll carry them. He will uphold you. He will keep you. He will protect you. He will shade you. He will be a banner of victory over you. Finally, your life in Christ is blessed by God so that you can be a blessing to others. Your life in Christ is blessed by God so that you can be a blessing this is an old truth of the gospel. Abraham was told, you will be blessed and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bless the ones who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, uses that. He says, listen, you're holding on to Christ. You're living in the gospel. Practically, here's how you're to live. Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it. Be a blessing. When you can be a blessing, be a blessing. Well, I don't know if they'll bless me back. Who cares? 
Well, I don't think we'd all be even. God doesn't care. It's not fair. I keep blessing them and they never do anything for me. You know what echoes in me when I say that? I, I hear a voice. It's probably mine. My split personality says, when did you ever bless Jesus? What did you ever give to him before he gave to you? What have you returned to him for his investment in you? Or you don't want to help that guy because he's a bum. How big a bum were you? How big a bum are you? Sometimes as Christians, we're so worried about fairness that we miss the greatest blessing of the gospel, which is to be a blessing. Don't withhold, if it is within your power, good from anyone, but do good to them. See how practical he gets? The gospel is a practical thing. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. They're starving for bread. you got a closet full. They come and say, I'm starving. Hey, come back in the morning. It's kind of late. I'm tired. No. Run to the store closet. Pull out all you have and give it to them. Do not say that to your neighbor. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trust trustingly beside you. Don't build your fence on his property because he's ignorant of where his property line is and take his stuff. See how practical the gospel is? Don't run into his car with your car. Get out. Lie about it. Leave a note with no name. Sorry I hit your car. Signed, anonymous. Don't do that. That's not godly. See how practical it is? Don't plan evil for your wife because you want to get even with her because she hurt your feelings. Don't slander your friend because they slandered you. Don't do that. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Be at peace with them. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any by his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Don't be jealous of the world, son, with all of its many riches that are being poured out on all these evil people. Don't be jealous. Serve God. Continue in the way of the gospel. God will uphold you. You can have confidence in it. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Now, we're out of time. I know that. Acutely aware of that. Half of you have dinner here. You're blessed. I just got to say, when you read, and I did this week again, the story of Jacob and Esau, you are confronted with the fact that Jacob in this life was a pauper. Not really, but kind of. In comparison to Esau, Jacob was middle class. When Jacob sent his best gifts to his brother, Esau, the wicked one, said, Hey, son, I got so much stuff, just take your stuff back. I feel bad for you. I'll be at peace with you, but keep your sheep. They're little scroungy things anyway. I got plenty. 
This is the way the wicked were blessed and God's people were in obscurity. What keeps you going in those days? You know that ultimately, Christian, the hand of God's blessing is on you in Christ. He has not required anything of you in this life that he will not repay to you a hundredfold in this life and the next. Those gospel promises are what keep you going when the wicked thrive and the righteous suffer. Finally, he says, practically toward the scorner, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. Or as James 4, 6 interprets it, as 1 Peter 5, 5, who follow the Septuagint here, say it, toward the proud, God turns his back, and toward the humble, he draws near. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The end of the story, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, will be given to us on that day when we stand in his presence. What you are experiencing now is the blessing of God, but it is only in part what you will receive then is the fullness of his blessing. And sinner, what you experience today is the wrath and blessing of God, and what you will receive in that day is only the wrath of God. So trust in the Lord. Sinner. Lost man, lost woman. I know that's not politically correct to call you that, but that's who you are. You know it. I know it. I don't worry about political correctness. I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. Listen to me. Choose today to trust in Him. And your, your life path will be the path of the gospel and you will prosper through eternity. Come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. Come, come, drink from the fountain of life. Eat the bread that you bought with no price. Don't bring your filthy rags to him. Come with empty hands to his throne and hold to his grace in his son, Jesus Christ, today. Do it today. I'm begging you, do it today. Don't go home with this unsettled. And Christian, hold on. The morning's coming. The dawn star, the dawning star shall rise. And with Job, we will see our maker in the flesh. Don't give up. Is your child in rebellion? Your spouse is lost? Your economic standing is pitiful? You're going to lose your job in the morning? Christian, don't lay down. Don't give up. He will not fail you. And he will not leave you. Cling to him. Hold to him. I just want you, everybody, just, let's just close our eyes before him. My heart is just, uh, honestly, just burdened. There are people right here. I know it. I feel it. I sense it. Who, right now, need to deal with God. And we're just going to give you that space. 
we're going to sing a song.